Okay, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the SEO Life Podcast. I am super excited to have Miles Beckler on the show, and I'm really, really excited to dive into YouTube and YouTube SEO and all things related to YouTube because he's really the first big YouTuber that I've had on the show, and pretty much everyone prior to him has just been really, uh, you know, people who are focused on Google SEO, not so much YouTube SEO. So this is going to be a really, really interesting talk. And I'm gonna ask him some very specific questions so we can get some really actual insights about how to you know, grow our audience and grow our views and grow our subscribers on YouTube. So thank you so much for coming on, Miles. For sure, man. Thanks for having me here, looking forward. Cool, so as of today, at least um, from what I could see, you have 145,000 subscribers, that's correct? Correct. And you've published 613 videos on YouTube. Give or take, uh, some of those are, are um, you know, uh, unlisted and private, but I would say to the tune of 600 actual published videos to kind of my greater audience, yeah. Okay, great. And how long have you been on YouTube? Uh, started in August of 2016, so we're just about at four years, so three years and, and 11 months. Okay, great. So let's talk about, um, let's just talk about your production here for a second. So 613 videos. Um, how many videos per week have you been publishing? Um, and has, has that frequency changed over time? Absolutely. So, you know, the rough math on that puts us at about 150 videos per year, which is a little over like one every other day. Uh, on average for uh, four years straight, right? It's probably between one every other day and every third day. Uh, when I started, my frequency was intense because I started with this belief that I'm not a content creator. Um, my first videos, like every human being who ever makes a video, my first videos were incredibly awkward. I felt uh, uncomfortable on camera. I knew I had a body of knowledge I could share. I didn't necessarily know how to share it. Uh, I didn't know how to record effectively. I didn't know how to publish effectively. So I decided to do what I call a 90 day challenge, which is, you know, 90 videos published in 90 consecutive days. And what it does is it just forces you or it forced me through the learning curve, right? So I, I relatively quickly got competence on the platform. Well, I wasn't making great videos at the end of it, but it, it kind of, I built the habit, right? There's a lot of talk about how long it takes to build a habit. Well, you do something every day for 90 days. You, habit is established. From there, I shifted. I actually ended up doing four months. So I did 120 videos in 120 consecutive days. Then I shifted over to three videos per week and I ran like that for about three years. I was doing Monday, Wednesday, Friday videos. And uh, now I'm doing one video per week at this point. So I'm working on the channel less today than I ever have before. And my subscriber growth, I'm growing at about 5,000 subscribers per month as of this recording. And that's the fastest subscriber growth um, that I've ever seen. So at this point, uh, and this is what I love about SEO, whether it's Google or YouTube, is you just get the compounding rewards, you get the compounding results. So I'm getting greater results today than I've ever seen before, and I'm doing less work today than I've ever done before, but it was massively front-loaded, right? Sure, sure, yeah. So let, let, let's unpack that a little bit, because that's, that's really interesting, because I kind of had a similar experience where, and I, I didn't do it on YouTube, but I actually did it in my training, so I just, realized that I needed to get comfortable on video. So I just recorded and recorded and I ended up recording hundreds of videos for my training. And that was kind of how I got my exposure. So it's interesting that you say that. Uh, let's talk about that. So how important do you think it is when you're starting on YouTube to just, just find your voice and get over the awkwardness and get over the fear of recording? How important do you think that is? Do you feel like you, you need to really do that in the beginning and not care so much about the results? 
You know, for everyone it's different, but for me, that self-talk of um, judging myself, that, that's pretty noisy. And I think a lot of people have that kind of internal judgment voice, the ego mind, and, and we have to figure a way to get beyond that or we'll never take any action. So realizing that imperfect action done consistently or that 1% better per day over the course of a year, you're 300, you're, you're significantly better than you were. Um, that philosophy really motivated me, but there are other people who they might take more time. They might craft more things. I mean, there's some gurus out there who, who flat out say one incredible video a week every week and that's it. And these guys are, they've got 20 plus gold play buttons, uh, which may, or gold play uh, plaques, which means they have over 20 channels with a million subscribers on them each. And they're very adamant about one incredibly good piece of content every week and take the time to stitch it together. And there's creative types who can do that. And it just didn't feel like it was in alignment with me. I'm a little bit more on the nerdy analytical side. So I just took a brute force approach. And I think people just need to find what works for them, right? What is the approach that's going to allow you to move forward consistently, confidently, and competently, and then really just commit to that process. And if you can leverage some, some past skills, some editing skills, some this, that, the other, uh, great. If you have time to get into the editing booth and really, really harness and hone and, and whittle down and refine the carving, great. Uh, I'm extremely busy. My wife and I, we have five profitable websites. I got two more that I'm spinning up right now. Um, I run a seven figure business, so I didn't have time to do the editing. So I had to train myself how to do everything in one take because I don't have time to get in the editing booth and edit everything. So that was a part of my approach. And I probably should throw a little caveat here. Um, I did some radio in college, right? I was on the community college radio station in the San Francisco Bay area. No one listened to it. It was, you couldn't hear us if you left the parking lot because it was time, but it gave me that experience of being on air and live in the moment. And I did three years and I got an associate's degree in it. Um, so I was able to kind of pull from that experience a little bit. And I spent 10 years working in call centers as well. So it's kind of like that leverage your strength approach. And I do think that there is a way to craft a great video that literally is something that you storyboard, you figure out these are the seven shots that I need, you go get each shot until they're done, you stitch it together, you make something beautiful, you get it out, and then you promote the bejeebas on it on Reddit and, and Twitter and all of the different places that you can promote it. Um, there is a proven path in that direction. And really on YouTube, the reason I think that is, is there's two sides to the YouTube algorithm. One is search, right? Keyword phrases. Uh, if you search learn SEO, you'll see that, that Nathan, you outranked me right now on learn SEO. Um, not for long. <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's always people chomping at our, our heels on that one. Um, but when someone searches that phrase, they're going to find who shows up and they're going to watch and, and do they resonate with you? They, they judge us. They judge you. They judge me in the first four or five, six seconds. Um, and then there's another side of the YouTube algorithm that is the search or that is the suggest and the browse side. And so when you're watching one of my videos or your videos, who shows up next to that video? Who gets that autoplay spot on the corner? And those numbers are all based off of uh, when YouTube decides who gets those spots, that's all based off of view time, average view duration, average view percentage, click-through rate, and those numbers, which really do have a lot to do with the quality of the content. Uh, personally, I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna forego quality for a bit. I'm just gonna get comfortable with the process. I'm gonna get good at this because I need to get this stuff out. And it was a sacrifice, I guess I would say, that I was willing to make. Um, and for me, it worked out in, in this scenario. 
Yeah, that there. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there. So for, let me rewind um, there for a second. A little summary. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's great. There's there's a lot there. Um, so w- would you define yourself more as an introvert or an extrovert? So man, over the years, I have become more introverted. I was very much an extrovert in my teens and my twenties, and now at this point, I'm I do kind of consider myself an introvert. Um, I love being around people, but boy, I need to come back and, and recharge after uh, speaking on stage or going to events. Sure. But do you feel like you kind of have a natural tendency to be a personable, you know, individual yep. and yeah. I, you know, I okay. have the gift of gab is one way I would put it, right? My dad, sure. I grew up, my dad always just just shaking hands, make friends with everybody anywhere. He smoked cigarettes, he's always outside in California smoking cigarettes, talking to somebody and just just random conversation. And I I do have a bit of that. And that that is kind of what what presented itself on the radio. And that is kind of what I one of those talents that I developed uh, at a young age that, that I bring to the table on the videos, I guess. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I think I just, the only reason I asked is just because some people get a little concerned about, you know, what they define themselves as. And I, you know, it's people will see someone like you who definitely is more outgoing and more charismatic and think that maybe they can't do that because you have, you know, those inherent qualities. Um, but I, there are plenty of introverts who have been successful on YouTube. So that's not anything <laughs> for that sure. can't be accomplished. And, uh- and I think it's worthy of saying that people watch my videos and they're like, who is this guy? He fa- talks too fast. He's clearly a scammer. I get so many of these, these comments. Like, <laughs> you're clearly a scammer. Anybody who talks that fast, like you should breathe in, you need to blink more and, and I can't handle listening to you. And so for every person, you know, there's no new messages. There's only new messengers. And some people resonate with me and some people like watch my videos and they're like, man, I can't handle this kid. Like, uh-uh, show me somebody else who's gonna make it sound easy or whatever it is. And luckily, there's you know two billion monthly active users on YouTube, so it's a really big pie, and there's plenty of slices for everyone um, bringing their unique style. Which that to me is the key, right? Like when people try to be something they're not, when people try to be someone else, the whole fake it till you make it approach, um, that's a big problem. Everyone can feel it, everyone can sense it, but when people are just flat out being authentic and being honest, I teach people how to do things. So it's like, hey, here's my name. All right, let's learn how to do this thing I'm gonna teach you how to do right here. And I do the how-to video and I'm out on the other side. Whereas there's creative types who tell stories and they bring emotions into the mix and like, I got a blank gray wall or a blank brick wall behind me. I, I do nothing to uh, spice up my videos in many of the senses that other YouTubers use to success. And it, it just goes to prove that there's a million and one ways or more to be a successful YouTuber if someone is truly interested. Yeah, that, that, that's a really, really great point. Um, so let's go back to you talking about, you know, how there are many different ways to be successful on YouTube. And you were saying that a lot of people have basically a formula of, you know, publish once a week, but make it really incredible. And there's some people that are as extreme as they publish only once a month, um, maybe even once every two months. Um, but the level of production is extremely high. Um, now, do you think there's a risk in using that approach? I mean, if you know, you're kind of banking on the fact that your one video per month or your one video per week, you know, one of those is really going to take off, but isn't it possible that you invest a ton of time and it just doesn't take off at all? Absolutely. And I think the one part that's generally unseen for people who have that approach is the amount of time and energy they spend promoting the video. 
right? They don't launch yeah. it out and, and like, okay, you know, fly the nest little video and, and just hope that, that it takes flight. They literally are pounding the pavement. They're, they're connecting with other people. They're asking for shares. They're building relationships with other creators. They're doing collabs. They're on podcasts like this. They're, so it's kind of the, the 80, 20. I think what they do is they think, so out of that hundred percent effort to quote unquote, grow a channel, 20% of the effort goes into that one epic video. And then 80% of the effort after that that's published for the next month. Sure, they're storyboarding the next video. They're getting ready for the next video, but they are 80% of the energy is going towards promoting that video. And there's people who say to do this in the regular Google SEO world as well, right? It's more about how you promote it than it is about actually creating it. And obviously in there is some truthful blend. Um, I did zero promotion on my videos. I didn't want to make myself ever dependent on kind of the actions or uh, asking other people for permission. I, I decided to take the approach of I'm going to bang on this algorithm enough times over, you know, 600 times in four years. I'm going to just, just test this algorithm, test, test, test. So all those 120, they were all tests. And I was like, okay, how do I trigger the algorithm to, to give me, and I don't want to just rank on, on YouTube, right? I want my videos to show up on the top of Google. So when someone searches learn SEO on Google, that's actually the spot that I'm after. It ain't even a YouTube search that I'm after. Um, and that's really what I went after perfecting. And it's, um, you know, so I partnered with the algorithm, but some people who create amazing content go partner with other human beings who have audiences and they leverage that to kickstart their videos. Sure. Yeah. So let, let's talk about, you know, 600 videos. So clearly <laughs> you have a lot of experience and you've probably really gotten a lot of insights from that. So, um, what would you, what are a few things that have worked like definitively, you know, for sure that, you know, X, Y, Z is the reason why it worked. And then also let's talk about what hasn't worked definitively as well. Yeah. So one, I mean, on YouTube, you got to talk about thumbnails because that's when we get out of the Google SEO world and my wife's website has reached over 40 million people on Google. Um, it, it gets 8 million or so visits from Google and it's a WordPress blog that we've built since 09. So I have a lot of experience on the Google side, but when you get to the YouTube game, the thumbnails mean so much. It's we're all competing that visual space. And I, I really undervalued um, how important the thumbnails were in the early days. I kind of refused to do those goofy, cheesy looking in one direction and pointing and stuff like that. And then I ran some split tests on the thumbnails and it just crushed my older style, very templated style thumbnails. And it was like, uh-oh, now I'm going to become yeah. that guy. And I do, <laughs> I'll be honest, I do things when the data says that this clearly has a 2x, 3x click-through rate because that click-through rate, when you show up next to a video, that click-through rate is everything. So let's say, for example, uh, a user is watching my video and Nathan Gotch pops up in the side and they're on desktop. So the suggested videos are on the right side. If your thumbnail keeps dragging me in, if it makes this really big promise and if it really piques my curiosity, I might literally, or the user might literally stop watching my video to click onto yours because that thumbnail grabbed their eye, it piqued their interest and it got them to click. And that there's just, there, there's no comparable to that in the world of, of Google. So um, I do a lot of split testing. I use TubeBuddy. They have a, you got to get into their, I think $50 a month level to do the AB split testing on thumbnails. And I'm consistently split testing thumbnails uh, on my older stuff uh, to really see what is moving the needle. So title and thumbnails, everything. I think title overlaps perfectly to Google because that click-through rate on your title on Google is just about everything um, once you hit the first page, right? That's one of the big metrics that they monitor. Um, there's a lot of, 
on, on YouTube, there's a lot of misinformation flying around. People are, um, I was at an event hanging out with Neil Patel in the VIP section and somebody asked him about YouTube and he was like, five to seven minute videos. You should never do over a 10 minute video. Just very definitively, like this is the way it's supposed to be. Some of my best videos are like two hours long. They're yeah. arduous, they're like painfully long and deep. But that's what there was a lack of in my space. No one was giving the deep dive. Everyone was, um, you know, like, oh, you want to learn Facebook ads? Great. Uh, here's my catchy title. Here's my 45 second dubstep intro. Now buy my 997 course. And here I come along with no flashy intro, no flashy nothing. And I'm just going to be like, okay, let's hop on the computer and I'm going to show you how to do Facebook ads. So first click here, first, second click there, third click there. And people are like, wait a minute, you actually taught me what? You said you were going to teach me. And it's awkward to even think that because you're in this boat too. You actually deliver on the promise. Um, and it's like, that's actually was like a different thing, right? So it was like, how could I be different in the world of digital marketing? And for me, the way to be different was to actually give people what they're looking for instead of constantly promoting my webinar, constantly pitching something. I actually decided just to give people what they were searching for. Surprise, it worked. Yeah. <laughs> and it made me very um, shareable since there's no call to action in there. Uh, you, you know, if all of my videos were just promoting my webinars aggressively, you and I probably wouldn't be having this conversation because you would be like, I don't think I want to have that guy have miles on because I probably just try to pitch a bunch of stuff on my, you know, I become a very um, safe guest and a safe shareable individual who teaches, which has helped me a ton. And then it's thinking about like, how can I intro a video in a way that's going to get somebody and maybe plant a seed for the middle to end of the video? How am I going to hook someone in within the first minute and make them feel like this video is going to get them so much value that they're going to stick around to the end? Because I need that view percentage and that average view duration to be higher than the other videos that rank for that. And that's a big algorithmic thing inside of YouTube is that average view duration. So that's another thing I play with consistently is uh, kind of opening loops and at the end, I'll tell you my blah, blah, blah. You know, when you see that, that's what people are trying to do is seed that later um, engagement towards the video. But part of my approach is just, you know, within 15 seconds, I'm trying to be in the meat and potatoes, actually giving people what they want and the right people are just going to stick around for a very long time in my videos. And to me, those are the biggest things on YouTube, right? So great thumbnail, great title, actually deliver on the promise, right? Your title is a pro actually give people what they're looking for. Um, and then work really hard to be efficient or catchy or intriguing enough to get people to stick around for uh, a majority of your video uh, as best you can. And that, that's the recipe. I do very long descriptions. I, I take everything I've learned from SEO um, in the descriptions themselves, but even that stuff's kind of almost more for the Google side, uh, ranking on Google than it is for, for ranking on, on YouTube SEO. Yeah. So, uh, a lot there. Um, let's just go back to descriptions. Yeah. I've noticed that there really isn't much of a correlation between long descriptions and YouTube performance. Uh, definitely seen it on Google, but not so much actually on YouTube, which is interesting. Um, and I know that's been pushed for a while that you need to write like these lengthy descriptions, but for some reason, like I've, I've seen plenty of videos that have like a one sentence description. They just get insane amount of views. Yeah, so, and you see some videos that have uh, 25 outbound links to this, that, the other, and there's a lot of people saying you can't do outbound links. What my goal in my description is, is always relevance, and then mm -hmm. I want to make it a web to all of my other relevant videos that will give them kind of like, the previous step and the next steps. So wherever they're entering this point, um, they can kind of continue down the rabbit hole. And what I think that does when we build relevance to our other videos in the description, I think that helps 
YouTube understand what videos it should recommend in the suggested area. Um, trying to boost that suggested because really when I'm, when I'm putting out videos, one of the things I'm, I'm really trying to do is make sure when I put out a video, I have something so relevant, I'm going to take over that autoplay spot on the right. And for the listeners who don't know what I'm talking about on, on the right side, on the suggested videos, when you're watching a video, you're going to notice there's an autoplay button and whatever that top suggested video is on the right. And by default autoplay is on, it's going to automatically play after this video plays. So when I put up a video, I want that to be my video, not someone else's video. And that's how I create what's called a session duration. Um, with, if they're hands off doing something else, my video is going to finish and that next video is going to keep rolling and they're just going to be able to binge watch my videos without having to click a single mouse button. But if someone else gets that spot, it's out from there. And that's why I, I like to link to a lot of my other videos to try to build that web of relevance. Yeah, and I, would you say that you know if someone is starting on YouTube, it would it would be beneficial for them to focus more on linking internally on YouTube yes. because obviously YouTube wants people to stay on YouTube because of uh, ad ad reasons, of course. Bingo. So um, definitely, yeah. You know, I I've seen a lot of like for example, my my wife's in the fashion industry, and every single fashion and beauty blogger they link out to like. 20 different things. Um, and at least in that vertical, that seems to be okay. Um, yep. but I, you know, it, I, I'm assuming there is, you know, some vertical dependent stuff going on too, like in Google, probably on YouTube as well. Um, but I, yeah, I think it's worthy of, of talking about to kind of like share with people who are interested in YouTube is, you know, you got to think about your channel in form of categories or buckets, uh, some gurus call them. And it's so YouTube, we call them channels and it's really important to think about it in the terms of like Food Network is, is a channel. And on that channel, we have different shows. And if you think about it, they actually have different genres of shows. So like on Food Network, they have like um, reality TV competition shows. They have reality, they have uh, celebrity chef shows. They have all these different shows and then they have like the individual people, right? There's the Guy Fieri, there's the, all the different individuals. So what does a network TV station do? Well, they come up with a pilot, they come up with an idea, which is a, a theory. They assume something's going to work. Like for me, it's like, okay, I think Facebook advertising stuff will work on my channel. It wasn't until about 80 days in on my 90 day challenge. I was like, oh, let me try Facebook ad, see if a Facebook ad video works. So I put out one Facebook ad video and it did really well. Like looking at the data, my data was tiny. I had maybe 50 subscribers at the time, but my, my, my view percentage jumped by probably 30%. It went from like, I don't know, a hundred views to 130 views. And I was like, wow, that is a, that's an outlier. And so it just kind of was like, okay, so for some reason, the world at large of YouTube viewers and the YouTube algorithm seem to like that, that Facebook video. Let me run a season of that show. So I did a pilot show. I did a pilot episode. It seemed to kind of work. So I was like, let me do a, a first season of this. And then I went through and really kind of isolated and did all the little bits and pieces, how to do a custom conversion, how to set up your pixel, all those annoying little things. I just made a little video on each bit and piece. Then I built overall relevance to my whole channel for this Facebook ads area. And then you can leverage playlists and you can kind of link them all together through internal linking. And I created essentially like a little silo or a little playlist and I did it kind of every which way I could. Then on my blog, I made a blog post that detailed and linked and embedded all of those different videos as well. And then I got to the point where I was like, man, I've covered everything. I just put a thousand dollar Facebook ads training on YouTube. What do I do now? Well, that was when I had to go test another show. I had to put out another one. And I think the best approach for people, um, I didn't have this foresight when I was going, is coming up with like, your, what are your three or four shows going to be? And then hitting them in a 
order and go through A, B, C, D, A, B, C, D. So if you're doing three videos a week and you decide you're going to do three buckets or three shows, um, maybe it's like a fitness channel, you do a yoga video, you do a recipe video, and then you do a home workout video, and those are your three buckets. Rotate through. So Monday is the yoga video, Wednesday is the next one, and then Friday is the other one, and you cycle back through. And in that sense, YouTube's gonna pick up your relevance to those different verticals, and they're gonna be able to link all of those different similar videos together. So when someone came in and watched my YouTube, my, excuse me, my how-to Facebook video, YouTube knew to show my other Facebook videos. And since I had them, because I built that whole library, I was able to get suggested and suggested. So somebody came in, they, they just went to YouTube to use a search engine, um, how to set up a custom conversion, and they find that. And then my next suggested video, my next suggested video, my next suggested video, they end up binge watching me for three hours when they came for a six minute answer. And YouTube loves that. And YouTube's like, wow, when we show this creator as a suggested video, hmm, they get an hour session duration. So they started showing me more than the Lambo boy fake guru who's just promoting his webinar and gets a three and a half minute session duration. Sure. Yeah. That, yeah, that, that's a, there's a lot to unpack there. And, it, and you know, it, uh, it reminds me though, um, very similar to Google using the clustering strategy, you know, building yeah. out clusters and building out, uh, you know, those really relevant pieces, pieces of content. Um, so obviously, you know, some, there is a lot of stuff that comes from Google SEO that translates well into YouTube as well. But I would say, you know, one thing I really want to talk about with you is, the diff for me personally, the biggest difference I've seen um, as far as comparing the two is that YouTube is much more reliant on user signals. And obviously, you know, Google SEO, we know what the big factor is. It's going to be backlinks. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, user experience does matter on Google too. Um, you know, it's page loading speed, how users are interacting with the site, you know, goal completions, things like that. But YouTube is a totally different animal in that way. I mean, they're tracking so many different types of user metrics. So, um, how can a, someone who started in Google SEO kind of shift their mindset there to be more successful on YouTube as well, knowing that there are kind of different signals at play there? Yeah, and it's, it's that whole like testing against the algorithm idea. Um, and in all of their, their differences, it, the differences are mainly because it's a different medium, right? The way we consume is different. And then YouTube, which is Google, right, owns the platform. So on my WordPress site, I could choose not to have the analytics script installed. And pretty much like Google gets like that initial click data. They might be able to see if that user, that IP address comes right back within a, a matter of seconds. But other than that, Google's in the dark. So they've had to build their uh, entire algorithm, their ranking algorithm to be able to still include sites that don't use their tracking data. Whereas That's on very, YouTube- Very, like, very good point. Right. So on YouTube, by default, they have, they have all of the information, all of it, 100% of the information. And I always start by what is the platform's goal? That is the most important, unfortunately, place we start, whether it's Google SEO, whether I'm doing Pinterest marketing, which is crushing it right now. Um, whatever I'm working on, I'm like, okay, what does this platform want? And then I need to get in alignment with that. So what does YouTube want? Well, in this era, 2020, we have this thing called binge watching. And when I was in my teens, if you sat and watched a show all weekend, you came back to school the next day or whatever work, and you're like, oh, I binge watched this, your friends would be like, dude, we need an intervention. Like, this is not okay. You should not be watching 19 hours of, but today, binge watching is like 
a thing. It's normal. Yeah. It's okay. So that's what YouTube wants. Ultimately, YouTube wants to in, engage and create binge watching on their platform versus the Netflixes, the Hulus, the everyone else's, obviously, so they can run advertising. Now, I have no advertising on my channel. I have monetization completely off and I rank well. So I don't, you don't need to have monetization on in order to rank well, but we still, the, the signals that YouTube pays attention to are all based on that. So what does YouTube want to see? YouTube wants to see people who initiate new sessions, right? What does that mean? That means I actually bring people to the YouTube platform. I'm not just putting up a video and, oh, search picked me up. Nope, I email it. So the first 60 minutes of your video, I think is utterly important. And again, how do I know the first 60 minutes is important? When you publish a video, what does it show you on the phone app? And for everybody using it, if you publish videos, you need to be using the uh, YouTube studio app. Um, it gives you kind of like creator data inside. It's a free app you can get. And, and you look and it says 60 minute view numbers and then it has your 48 hour view numbers. Well, I'm assuming YouTube is showing us those two metrics because it cares about those two metrics. So every time I put out a video, my goal is how do I get as many views and as many engagements as I can within the first 60 minutes? So right now, one of the things I'm testing is doing premieres, but I'm not just putting it up as a premiere. Um, premieres can promote the video before it's live on your channel and then it creates a live chat box on the side while the video plays for the first time. And then the chat box goes away forever. So what I do is I put up my last video that aired on Monday. I actually put that up as a premiere on Sunday. So it notified all my users and it has a set reminder button. My goal here, again, I want to boost the number of views and engagements in the first 60 minutes. And then I email my list and I put up all over social. Um, hey, I'm going to be premiering a new video live at Monday at 9 a.m. Come join me. I'll be there in the live chat answering all of your questions. Free Q&A with me here. So what did I do? I incentivized a bunch of people to show up at the exact minute and actually five minutes, 10 minutes before that thing aired. And then when it aired, I'm just in the chat, man. I am just like commenting on every question. I'm at mentioning everybody. I'm trying, I'm just, I am forcing engagements through the chat. Um, I'm asking for the thumbs up. I'm asking for them to share it. I'm literally asking for them to leave comments. Boom. I just gave it a big lift. Okay. So what did I do? I initiated a new session. I got that user to engage and then hopefully they're going to watch that next video. I'm saying in the description, you got all the links. I pin a top comment that has a link to the next relevant video they need to watch again. So I want to initiate the session and then I want to help that user go on a binge watch episode. Now, the funny thing is I literally tell people my videos, like at some point you got to turn off the video and you got to just go do the work because I actually care more about my users doing the work and building real businesses than I do about me triggering their algorithm. So, so there's, there's two sides to it, right? Like I don't always pull out all the stops. I am actually really clear to my people of like, look, nothing's going to happen online with your business until you start publishing something. So turn off YouTube and go write a blog post or go make a video. Um, but it's, it's that idea. So initiate the session, um, average view duration goes up. You want to see engagements and then you want to essentially create a session duration that hopefully will go, so you're not just bringing somebody on to watch one video for six minutes. You bring them on to watch nine videos and they spend an hour 30. YouTube's going to love you in that point in time. Um, and then the 48 hour mark, I, I try to, you know, generally email my video a second time within the 48 hours because they're watching how many views did that video get in the first 48 hours versus the other videos, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Yeah. So that, wow. Um, the, the premiere strategy is really, really smart. I actually ran a test, um, just to test, you know, how, 
important user engagement is. And obviously I, I pretty much knew the answer to the question, but I just wanted to see it with my own eyes. So I had like all of my audience go and comment on one of my videos. And if you look up like free SEO tools or SEO tools, you'll find my video. And uh, the experiment was I told them to leave a comment on that video as soon as I published. Um, and that video literally shot up to the top fast and it stayed there and it hasn't left since. Yeah. Um, and it definitely... I mean, I attribute that mainly to the user engagement. Now it hasn't done a whole, it hasn't done super well on suggested, but it's done really well in search. So, you know, it's kind of, it's interesting how things work like that. You can have videos that do well in search, but don't really do well elsewhere on the uh, channel itself. Especially uh, in our, in our world, right? Um, you know, a lot of people are coming in because they're looking for a specific, like what is an SEO silo? They want to know what that is. They really don't care about the other stuff right now because they're, they're on that one specific thing. When you get into other niches, uh, travel niche, vlog niche, fashion niche, beauty niche, uh, weight loss niche, people kind of are a little more prone to going into um, binge watching sessions, the Mr. Beasts of the world, right? Like he's not, yeah. like, what is he doing? Like the dude used to just give away money and now he's just like, wasting money on stupid stuff and people just love watching how much stupid like it's, it's ridiculous in many senses but so it's but it's also much more by the content by definition it's binge watchable whereas you know with our stuff in the seo world it's kind of like i need to figure out how to do this okay like you have a great video on um finding or several great videos on finding expired domains like i'm not gonna binge watch you show me what to do cool i know the tool i know where to go all right later i got work to do and That's, and so yeah. by definition mm -hmm. it's it's kind of a part of us so the cool thing is that that's the same with all of our competitors. So it's not like, oh, we're, we're handicapped or this. No, that's just what our, our industry is in this scenario. Um, but engagement's everything. And that's why you see a lot of creators in the first three minutes of video, smash that thumbs up button, man. Yeah, like like and subscribe. You know, we the engagement bait. And we used to do that on Facebook a lot as well. Uh, Facebook and Instagram used to be able to do engagement bait, but they banned asking for the engagement in a Facebook comment uh, about a year and a half ago and YouTube, it's a, a little more difficult to pick up on that inside of a spoken out video. Sure. Yeah. I want to go back to what you said about initiating the session, which really just means mm -hmm. bringing your audience from other platforms to YouTube. Correct. 100%. Yeah. So, you know, cause I, I have, um, a pretty good sized email list and I, I'm very selective with how I use it. So like I'll only send typically one email a week unless I'm doing a launch and then I'll do more. But in the majority of the time I'm sending one email a week. And so I've kind of, I've kind of found a struggle between like, you know, promoting my blog content, also promoting my YouTube content, because it's, you know, if I'm publishing every week on YouTube and I'm publishing every week on my blog, you know, which asset am I going to be promoting? And you actually said something earlier that you don't want to be dependent on these outside channels. You want YouTube to be kind of the source of your views and subscribers and traction. So how do you go about kind of balancing that? Cause that can be so difficult. You know, you don't, cause you don't want to flood your email list with, you know, if you were publishing three times a week, that's a lot of emails to be sending um, in this current environment. So how do you, how do you balance that? Email more. I'm an email every day kind of guy, man. Like, oh, you honestly, are? Okay. Yeah. yeah. That, that's I, I fine. Think, yeah. I think you would be blown away at what it does with your relationship with your best people. And the the people who are kind of wishy-washy on you or, eh, I kind of like this guy. Yeah, kind of maybe dabble in what he talks about. They will disappear. They'll be like, this is too much. And they might be the ones that email you negative feedback. Uh, the best thing my wife and I have done for our business that has catapulted us beyond the seven-figure-a-year business range is emailing more. 
a mm-hmm. an incredible amount of money comes from our emails. Now there's a way to do it. That's not just like, go read my new thing here, go read my new thing there. Cause that becomes annoying. It's storytelling. It's people want to know more about you, man. People like you, they trust you. They want to know about your life. They want to know about your struggles. They want to know about your wins. They want to know about your losses. They want to know more. They want to live vicariously through you. And the best way I ever heard email marketing explained was that it's like uh, a bit in a talk radio show. And back when we all listened to talk radio in the nineties and whatnot, there was, there were these stop segments. There were these, these little segments, these five minute segments that creators did. And if you think about it, when we had drive time radio and that was a thing, we not only looked forward, we felt bad if we missed whatever that morning drive time show was or whatever that afternoon drive time personality was. We literally were like, oh man, I didn't get to listen to Opie and Anthony today or I didn't get to listen to whoever it is that they love today on that day. People go out of their way. People would sit in their driveway when they were already home to finish listening to a bit from a personality they loved. And email is how we can kind of recreate that in the modern era. Another way that I think has almost transformed is stories. Uh, so Snapchat came out with stories. Uh, YouTube now has stories. Uh, Instagram took over the world of stories. And if you notice on Instagram, they're now showing two rows of stories when you load the app for most people. And they're, they're showing that all the engagement is in the world of stories, which literally writing an email almost every day or every day is similar to that. And you tell the stories, you show what's going on in the life, and then you use the PS section. And Dean Jackson has this thing called the super signature. And it's uh, like, um, if you're ready to take the next steps, here's four things you can do right now to move your business forward. Number one, go watch my newest YouTube video, which is here. Number two, my, read my newest blog post, which is here. Number three, enroll in my great course that's here. Boom, that's it. So you're telling stories, you're being helpful, you're giving value, you're, you're giving them insights into your life in the main part of the email and then it's just a subtle ps for people who want more at the bottom and it makes it more like a conversation and it makes your list more like friends um because we do business we buy from people we know we like we trust and um it's it's creating that kind of engaging conversation with a friend um and you'll notice that if you're emailing once a week until you have a launch and then you email three times a week people will will sense that they'll get that and they'll start to tune it out and they won't exactly know you, love you when it comes to launch time. Whereas if you email more and you share some of the stories about the ups, the downs, like my Facebook ad account just got banned a few days ago and boom, there's my subject line. And I'm telling the story of like, you know, and I saw this coming and I knew it would happen eventually. I'm spending 20 grand a month on Facebook ads and they shut me down. And oh my gosh, my people love this stuff. Like they love it. I need to let them know that I got it turned back on, by the way. I haven't sent that email yet. But, um, <laughs> and when you start to look at the world through this lens of like a little radio, little radio show, a little blip, um, the videos are there for the people who want more and they'll just go self-service themselves and other people will just read a little bit of it and go, oh man, this was great. And then they'll just kind of go on to the next thing. Um, we did a 30 day email challenge to start it off. If you notice this habit of doing these challenges, uh, we went from mailing pretty much when we had offers to, you know what, we're just going to commit to building relationships and being authentic and, and really helping these people. Um, oh, everything changed in our business. Yeah, that's yeah. And that, you know, I've seen many different ways for email to work. So, um, that's obviously just the way I've been doing it, but there, <laughs> there are many ways to do it. Um, and I, you know, I, it's hard because you know you don't want to you don't want to burn out your list, um, and I'm sure you have probably a mechanism for pruning your list at a certain frequency, um, just to get rid of the dead weight. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I think there's a lot of value in in doing the storytelling type of more you know frequent emails. I think there's a lot of value in that for sure. Um, so 
let's talk about uh, opportunity on YouTube in general. Do you think there's still a lot of opportunity for people? Oh, it's huge. YouTube's growing, video's growing massively. You know, as we transition into a 5G world and data becomes even more unlimited and you get to other countries where data is finally getting unlimited, um, like New Zealand up into, I think even still, they're metered. So their home internet is metered. So you get like 20 gigs a month. So they're not going to sit and watch a ton of, but as their infrastructure continues to grow, they get unmetered. Video is what gets consumed more and more. Um, I think the opportunity on YouTube is astounding, but at the same time, I think the opportunity on Google is astounding. And I think the opportunity for people who take action, who create interesting, cool, new, unique, relevant things, and who really commit themselves to helping other people, uh, whether it's a smile, it's an engagement, or whether it's tactical stuff like you and I do of actually teaching people how to solve problems, um, man, there's, the world is ripe for more creators. Uh, I built a new website from zero to, I think we're getting 70,000 visits a month, is making seven grand a month right now within like 13 months. And there's a lot of people on the sidelines sitting on their hands, uh, thinking, doubting, humming and hawing, trying to see how the whole thing works. And the whole thing works when we take step one and we commit to taking step two and we commit to taking step three. And um, just make sure it's in your personality, it's in your DNA. Because for some people, looking at a red light button on a camera is like right up there with snakes and, and deadly spiders on the level of fear, right? It really messes with some people. But for other people like myself, it, it was actually an easier mechanism for me to communicate my ideas. If I could have blessed myself, if I could have like, you know, at the age of three said, Miles, I'm going to bless you with a talent, it would have been writing. Undoubtedly, I would have blessed myself with a talent of writing and I would have just gone straight into a WordPress blog, no doubt. And I would have gone all in on the written word because Google gets approximately what, 7 billion searches a day to the tune of over 2 trillion searches per year. And something like 15% of searches on Google right now are completely new searches. They've never been searched before. Like these are, these are astounding data points that just say that YouTube is a I mean, Google, excuse me, is this massive place. Uh, but with that said, YouTube has a higher bar barrier of entry. You have to be willing to sit your booty down in front of a lens and go through those awkward moments. Anyone can spin up a WordPress blog and go outsource some rubbish content and throw a bunch of backlinks at it. So, it, so I think the competition on YouTube is much lower. I think the barrier of entry on YouTube is higher. For that matter, it's kind of a lower competition, less tapped area. Uh, but man, I, I still think that the, the big, big, big game is playing the Google game. Um, and I do both, right? My video content goes out. I have a teammate of virtual assistant uh, who take it and put it on a podcast feed. And then it goes over to another team of copy editors, writers, transcriptionists. I'm in love with Descript right now, the, trans, uh, the transcription tool. And uh, they get it up onto my blog. So it's kind of like, hitting all three and it's because I'm just a little bit more of a talker than I am a writer naturally. So I just went with my strengths and that's the biggest thing for most people is just become a creator is the key. Uh, create either in voice, video or written word and figure out which one's going to be more comfortable for you to just go all in on and then just go all in for your audience and learn the algorithm. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And, um, you know, speaking of strengths, obviously, you know, speaking in general um, is a strength of yours. But even if someone, you know, would think that maybe copywriting is their strength, that doesn't imply that they shouldn't step outside of their comfort zone and start doing video because, um, 
I I feel like there's a tendency, like if you're a good writer, like that's, that's how I was. Like I consider myself an above average copywriter. Um, and that became my kind of like excuse for not doing video. Um, and that was a, that was a big mistake. So do you think it's important that even though you may have a strength in one area, it's still important to jump into these other ones where, you know, there's clearly a lot of opportunity. At some point you, I, I call it the three pillar content marketing strategy. At some point you need to have all three pillars firing. You need to have a podcast, you need to have a YouTube channel, you need to have a blog, and they all need to be getting filled up with excellent content, right? So it's just, it's just a matter of when, because if someone jumps in and they try to do all three of them day one, I'm going to do a 90, challenge, 90 day challenge on all three, they're going to destroy themselves and they'll never make it to the end. So it's kind of chunking it down and building it into a process and like big picture, I totally agree with you because in the world of copywriters, oh my gosh, there is a glut for great copy trainings on YouTube, but there is an astounding amount of copywriting training on Google, right? So the competition on Google is nuts and you're going up against people who love to write and who are really good at writing. Move that over to YouTube and all of a sudden the competition is pretty much non-existent and is it mm -hmm. worth it to push through? I'm also, you know, I think, uh, you know, I would assume and I don't actually know, but like I would assume you're just a, a fan of personal development or you're on a personal development path and the idea that, um, you know, growth begins where our comfort zone ends. And if we're not constantly doing new things to push ourselves and challenge ourselves, uh, we're not growing. And if we're not growing, we're dying. That's just, there's two states of being in this world. You look at a plant, you look at nature, something's either growing or it is dying. And at some point, if you've been blogging for over, you know, my, my wife's blog's 11 years old now. Um, she's getting pretty heavy into the YouTube world because that's repetitive. She's not growing as much there. And now this new area has opened her up for growth and, and the merger of the two is actually helping everything from there. Um, so I think it's just, uh, we got to continue to grow and push and meet our audience where they are is really the key. And people are freaking everywhere right now. So and it's yeah, never I been easier. The tech, the, the, it's free. Like it's, it's amazing at how relatively simple it is but it's not easy. I use the wrong word. It's simple, but it ain't easy. The difficult part is pushing through and showing up day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. Yeah, 100% agree, especially stepping outside the comfort zone. That it, probably the, some of the best decisions I've ever made in my life had to do with me just stepping outside of a comfort zone of some type. Um, well, and but, at some uh, point, you know, we get to the point where we look for that feeling. And we now associate that, that interesting vibration in our solar plexus, that, that like nervous, like, oh man, this kind of scares me. My first videos, I, so I was at a personal development challenge. It was a two-day seminar, Kyle sees, and essentially the end of it was he challenged us to do something that scared the S out of us for 90 days straight. And we had to write on a card, our name, our phone number, address, and, and we had to essentially wager an amount of money. And if we didn't follow through, he was going to force us to spend that amount of money on the political candidate we hated the most. Uh, and I put $1,000 down and I was like, well, I'll put $1,000 on that. And, and that little edge of motivation, that little challenge got me willing to do the thing that scared the heck out of me. And I made my first video and it was awkward. It was terribly. And then I made my second video and I was like yelling at the camera. I was at the beach and I thought well, I could hear the waves. They were loud. So I'm like, I'm literally like yelling at the camera. It was terrible. <laughs> it's still up there for anybody to watch because we all got humble beginnings. My life has changed and my income has changed in ways, astoundingly changed, making more per month off this side gig YouTube thing than I ever did in a year working 50, 60 hour weeks in call centers, managing a department of 30 people in a call center. It's astounding. And it all came from that willingness to push through 
that comfort zone. And I think the great entrepreneurs and the most successful people in the world, they start to seek out that comfort zone. And when you're, that's what you're saying. When you're in the blogging, you've been writing, you're like, man, okay, I'm in the groove. Like, okay, I need something that pushes me because I'm not really being put. I can't stop doing that. But what's that next thing? That's how people build amazing things in their lives. Yeah, I can't agree enough. Um, so there's so much I want to talk to you about, even outside of YouTube. But um, obviously, we, we both have things to do today. Um, so let me ask you a couple more questions, and I'll, I'll let you go. But I definitely going to want you get get you back on and talk about many of the other questions I have here. For sure. Um, one thing I really want to talk about, I keep it on YouTube, is what's your rationale for not running ads? Yeah. Um, I am unwilling to sell my audience's attention to a fake guru or to a subpar platform for pennies. That's it. Yeah. My audience's attention is too valuable, right? It makes me more shareable, but like I rail on the fake gurus. I rail on the Wixes of the world. You get a lot of Wix ads, by the way, right? Yeah. I'm assuming mm -hmm. you're a WordPress guy. I am <laughs> rough guess, right? Because you are a pro and that's what pros use. And that mismatch I'm, I'm unwilling and the RPMs and the, the amount of income possible from ads to me is very, very small compared to being extremely strategic about growing my list, emailing five, six times a week, promoting things as an affiliate. I mean, my channel generates easily a thousand dollars a day. Uh, on an average day, right? It's doing 30 grand a month plus. It's, it, you know, some week, months it's upwards of 50 grand a month. Um, and, and you can't find a pitch, right? And that's by design. It, it's just all how I've done it. So I just decided to take on the strategic approach of monetizing my platform myself. Um, so 80, 90% of the videos I make are designed to grow my audience, get subscribers, get people hooked in. And then I got those 10% that are super focused on an affiliate call to action or my list call to action. And, and I just make money on the back end is essentially what's going on. Sure. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about monetization. So what, what are your monetization vehicles for YouTube specifically? Affiliate marketing is like 90% of it. I have a small membership okay. program that I haven't opened for like seven months. And people are just like, I've got a waiting list of like 800 people. And they're like, when are you opening this thing? I'm like, eh, I don't really want to do it that much. But it's, it's affiliate marketing, man. It, it really is keyword tools. I'm, so people search. How to do keyword research? I'm giving away one of my secrets here to a, to a competitor, but you already know this, I'm sure. You know, they search how to do keyword research. And I use a specific tool in a specific way. And I'm like, great. Hi, I'm Miles. I'm going to teach you how to do keyword research. Let's jump on the computer. Blah, blah, blah. Click here. Blah, blah, blah. Click there. If you really like this tool and you like this process, go to milesbeckler.com slash my affiliate link and get the tool and do what I showed you and you'll be amazed at the results. Surprise. A lot of people take my suggestions on that, mainly because they've seen all my other, not all my, they've seen a lot of my other videos. They know they can trust me. It's not like this one video like somehow magically ranks and it's in isolation. I email that video out. I've embedded that video on a lot of my blog posts. I market that video to my people at specific times. Uh, so, and a lot of my efforts is I am trying to build my list. I'm, I'm a huge proponent on grow your audience on the other platforms, build a list because that's something that you own. Technically, YouTube could definitely turn me off at any point in time, but it's it's grow my list and then it's it's market to the list and lots of emails, man. I do. I've sent lots of emails um, and they help people. I keep, keep people moving forward, right? SEO, our game, our world, you got to keep showing up every single, and it's a way for me to show to my people that I'm showing up every day. And by the way, I'm working on this and here's a tool that'll get you there too. And that, that little PS, that, that four step uh, PS thing makes, I would say 90% of my income, it comes from the PS 
inside of an email that's talking about something probably irrelevant to what's in the PS. Yeah, it, it, it sounds like you, uh, you studied results in advance from Frank Kern. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. so def- I mean, yeah, Frank Kern's ideas are 100%. I mean, he gets them from Jay Abraham, uh, yeah. which is the strategy of preeminence. And they, yeah, it, it, that is it, man. It, it is all about the strategy of preeminence uh, in that world. Yeah, that's, that's, I always try to teach that framework too, that it's just, <clears throat> it, it's a value first approach, which seems a lot of people have backwards, especially, you know, the so-called gurus that you've been saying, a lot of them are definitely purely focused on driving revenue, not so much on the value part. That's why right. you, you, if you go and look at one of their courses, you'll see uh, that they likely have a very high refund rate. Um, because yeah. they're, they're so heavily focused on the marketing and advertising component, which naturally you, you can only push your focus in one way. You can't focus on the product and the marketing and the advertising. So um, it, that becomes very difficult. So a um, couple more questions here. First, obviously, you know, you've been doing YouTube for a very long time. You've had probably thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of comments on your videos so how do you handle the nasty comments? Oh, they're gone. Just uh, I hide from hide user from channel is one of my most used uh, tools. And then inside of the settings, if you're on the actual desktop, inside the settings, you can block words. And I, I block certain words. Uh, people asking about other gurus or, or talking about, because I get a lot of spam as well. And I use those two things uh, aggressively. The app, the um, YouTube studio app, on my phone. Uh, so I've personally answered probably to the tune of 15 to 20,000 comments myself, um, sure. actual real people. I treat every, like, like these are real people. I remember what it was like when I was broke. I was $50,000 in student loan debt. I knew I was an entrepreneur at heart. I had no idea how to figure it out. No one was willing to help me unless I coughed up 997, which I didn't have. So I'm like really, really here to be the antithesis of that. So I'm just, I'm in the comments every single day. I pop out that app. I'm standing in line at a grocery store. I pop out the app. I got you know, three minutes, I can answer five or six comments. I can delete and ban a bunch of people real quick and boom, it's, it's all caught up. And it's something that I made the commitment very early to just stay on top of it and to participate, um, in it, to, to manage it and maintain it. And it's, it's 100% me, no virtual assistant, no, no moderators in there. It just, it's just me in there, um, helping people out. And, and side note, I have made a lot of money because people, they, they're like, Hey, Miles, I know this is not the right video, but you, you mentioned this one tool that I want to buy it right now. And do you have an affiliate link for that? And if I'm checking it like every day or a couple times a day, it's like, yeah, here you go. And, um, so it works out in that way as well, but it's just one of my strategies to be different and to stand out. Yeah, that that's great. Yeah. I've, I've kind of had that same approach since the very beginning. I've, I've always answered my own blog comments. I've always answered my own YouTube comments. Like I think that that personal touch really, it, it means a Matters. lot. Yeah. And like even, and I, and I even see huge YouTubers and I know obviously when you get to a certain level, it becomes very difficult to scale that. Um, but still just seeing like, they don't respond at all, which right. I think is like, you know, maybe, yeah, you're, you're big, but I think long-term that that may not be the right decision to not respond at all. Um, now, obviously from a tactical perspective, you can hide the comments, hide the users, but just from a you know, a mental health perspective, how do you, how do you deal with people who, you know, are questioning you and, and claiming that, you know, that that's so difficult because, you know, you're, you're going out there, you're, you're adding real value. You're, you're actually trying to help people yet. There will always be people who question you, think you're a scammer, you know, think you don't add a rude man. Yeah. And that's that it, 
it's, it's frustrating, you know, cause they would yeah. never obviously say that to you in real life. So, right. um, it, and if they saw you in real life, they'd probably act like they were your friend too. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. um, so that's, what's funny about it. But yeah. So, I mean, fr- from a mental perspective, you're probably so hardened at this point, you probably just kind of like brush it off. Doesn't even matter. Mm, no, um, but not from, at all, man. No, really? I, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's real. Like I'm a human, like we're all human. Right. And people say these snippy things and it's like, here I am pouring my heart out trying to give you everything for free. And like, that's what you come at me with. Like, really? Uh, so one rule is don't feed the trolls, right? Yeah. Like just flat out, don't feed the trolls. That's what they're after. And, and YouTube has the trolliest trolls of all troll land. Like the worst oh, yeah. of the worst of the worst are on YouTube. Um, I'm still astonished at some of the things that make it through the filter. My wife has a YouTube, her YouTube channel is like 200,000 subscribers. Um, God, the stuff people say that makes it through like, like raunchy stuff makes it through the filters. And so YouTube does a horrible job assisting us with this, which is really quite sad. Um, but yeah, it, it does affect me, man. I meditate every single day and I have for over 10 years, every afternoon I'm down for 45 minutes, uh, 25 to 45 minutes. Um, I hike in nature at least twice a day. That's part of why I live in two locations. So I can, my place in Sedona right now is pretty hot. I'm up in the mountains of, uh, Washington. And then in the winter, I can't get out and hike here much. So I'm down there. Um, and just clearing the head, right? Like, like literally just getting out and clearing my head. And, uh, I've, I've got some commenters who they ring in my head for a day or so, and then it just goes away. And I talked to my wife about it and she's just like, dude, ignore it. Um, and again, I'm really, really heavy on hide user from channel. I don't know what it does. I think it ghosts them. I think they can, I think they can comment and they think I see it, but I don't see it. And I leave the comments on because I want the engagements, right? I want, (laughs) you better get some benefit from them anyway. Yeah. Right. And that's why I engage with everybody. I'm like, cool. So they all left me 30,000 comments. If I do 20,000, I'm up to 50,000 comments on my channel. Ha ha. I have more engagements than everyone else. So there's, there's a SEO strategy in that as well. But I am just, I'm like, I'm so quick to swing the ban hammer. It is ridiculous. And I've, yeah. I've banned thousands of people. And it's like, man, first comment, I don't know, you're going to say something. I had this one dude the other day. Uh, so I put up a video and I talked about backlinks in it a little bit. I rarely Ooh, talk da- about dangerous, to- dangerous topic to talk about it is, on YouTube. It is. And like, I rarely talk about them. It's, I've done some tests recently with them and boy, it just shot one of my websites. Like it, it was crazy that the, the overnight. And so I, I, I share what I test and what I do. And I test my assumptions a lot. And he was like, I can't believe you're, it was like, it was a snippy. I can't believe you're talking about backlinks right? From someone who's taking no action. Like I just, I know this is a pimply kid in his parents' basement. He ain't doing a damn thing with his life. And I'm like, mother, like I literally was like this dude, like (laughs) how dare you? And I was just like, you're done. Like you now don't get a right to ever put a comment in my comment section that I'm ever going to see again, because you went that snippy route, you're gone. And then I engage and say, thank you. And I get into gratitude with all of the other ones around it. Cause that's what the truth is. There's one troll surrounded by 300 hearts and likes and thumbs ups and praise. And I get back into the praise and I feel the gratitude for them. I thank them. I I engage with them and I I let that shift my energy. Um, I'm, I'm really big, you know, I'm just, I mean, I'm big into gratitude. I I just, I live a very blessed life. Uh, It has not been easy to get here. I grew up extremely, uh, like I grew up working class poor. My parents had to pawn valuables to pay rent several times growing up, sent to school without lunch money or without lunch because we just literally didn't have it type stuff. Um, and now to live the life I'm living, I, I just, I, I really try to let that overwhelming vibe of gratitude kind of drive me. 
And um, anybody who comes in and, and kind of brings me down, even if it's snippy, even if I misinterpret the text, you're gone. Because uh, there's just no space for that in my comments. It's not a it's not a right to be able to comment in my video. And then Seth Godin, you know, who's brilliant, he just turns him off completely because uh, it freaks him out. Uh, and he he felt like he needed to engage in this that. And he was like, for his mental sanity, he just turned it off. And now he can blaze forward and such as life. And so we all kind of find our our way about it. But um, yeah, man, if you're listening to this and if you're one of those YouTubers who who is a lurker and you don't comment, but you really like people's stuff, man, pop in and say thanks because it means a lot to us creators. Like we're real human beings. Even if the numbers stack up to 50,000, 100,000, 200,000 subscribers, um, it, it does mean a lot. Yeah, that, that's for sure. And you know, one thing that I've done that's actually helped me a lot with the various trolls that I've experienced is sometimes I'll write out a response to them and then I'll delete, and delete it. it. And yeah, <laughs> it's just like, it's like just getting it out, you know, almost. You and know what then, you can do? You can shove that right up. Okay, delete that one. Oh God, yeah. I feel better now. Yeah, but it's funny because it actually kind of does work. But it, it you know, it's so weird how we're, we're wired to focus so much on the negative. Like I could get yeah. 300 comments and I get one nasty one and I'm like, oh my gosh, it like, takes me down for the next 30 minutes. And it's like, well, why? There's literally no point. I mean, it doesn't even make sense. So you need to focus on the majority of things that are happening. Now, of course, if the majority of your feedback is negative, then you really need to examine <laughs> what's going on. Yeah. Um, so, and you, you know, and I, I'm kind of extreme in this way. And I, I will actually look at the negative feedback and see if it has any merit. Like, I want to oh, see yeah. like, is there, is there something here? Like, is there something I can improve? And a lot of the time, it's usually not anything substantial. Um, but still, I'm like, I do entertain it for a little bit just to see. And I'll even like ask my wife, I'm like, is this, is this true? Like, do I need to fix this? And then you realize you're like, no, probably not. And it's probably from someone who's never even created a video before. So, um, right. And there's that old quote, the, um, you know, if Henry Ford asked people what they wanted, everybody would have got like a faster horse and buggy or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's kind of like when we're, when we're breaking out doing our thing, but yeah, it's like, there's so many Monday morning quarterbacks out there and, uh, it, we as humans were not wired kind of at like a, a neurological level. We were not wired to engage with hundreds of thousands of people, right? Like my V my videos, I think I get a couple million minutes viewed per month right now from a few hundred thousand viewers every month. Uh, rough numbers. I'm pulling out. Of I know it's in that range somewhere. Yeah. Um, we just weren't, we weren't like wired to do that. We were wired to, to live in smaller tribes, right? You know, the, the Dunbar number is like 120 or 150, which is uh, the number of like how big a tribe can get before it splits and has problems. And it's like 150. And, and here, you know, I got 140,000 subscribers and they all have a <laughs> opinion about this, that, the other, the right way, or, you know, passive income guru boy said this. And like, I don't care what he said. The dude doesn't know what he's talking about. He, he had that ghost written like, goodbye. I have no time for you. Um, yeah, yeah it, it is interesting, man. That's one of the, and I think, you know, people writing books on Amazon, you just see some of these one-star reviews just flaming people. And it's just like, goodness gracious. Like there's so many people sitting at home just waiting to be offended. We live in the age of outrage and like literally cancel culture is a thing. Like what? Oh, go create something for people. Go, go make the world a little better. Go put a smile on somebody's face and I just wish, and that's, yeah. that's part of my mission. I, I really think our world would be a better place if more people created. I don't care if you make soap and sell it on Etsy. I don't care if you raise chickens and you have eggs and you sell them at your local farmer's market or if you make videos or blog posts or crafts on Pinterest, whatever. But I just think if more people actually kind of engage with their inner creator versus their inner critic, um, it's so easy to just snap judgment and crit critic 
crit criticize. There you go. Uh, people, but um, boy, it's, it's really difficult to come out and be a creator. And I think crossing that gap for myself has made me a lot more um, forgiving. Uh, I don't know if that's even the right word, but understanding of what some of the leaders in our industry uh, went through, even the ones who aren't necessarily they're kind of sociopaths to be perfectly honest, but um, man, just some of the stuff they've had to go through to get where they're at is, is kind of crazy to think about. Yeah. Well, I mean, you just, you don't know what you don't know, right? So if you've never created anything, you just don't have the empathy of for the creator itself. So hundred um, percent. Yeah. So that, that's really a point. So two quick things before you go, um, staying niche or broadening out on YouTube. What's, what's your thoughts on that? Enter through the niche and then broaden out. Okay, so find your one show that goes well. So, so like Food Network, I think is a great example. There, there was a time when Food Network, what am I going to watch Food Network for? Literally, and all of a sudden Food Network is like one of the most watched channels on, on kind of network cable TV, right? Food porn is like now a thing. It wasn't always a thing. Um, they found a show or two that worked really, really well to develop a core audience. And then they figured out the other things that that audience wanted to watch. So um, I've had a friend, Tim Conley, talks about it. Like um, your niche is the wedge in. And that's what we're looking for. So when I was doing all my videos, I was trying funnel stuff, this mindset stuff, which doesn't work on YouTube for me by any means, um, even though I think it's like the game. And, and I found the Facebook. Yeah. When, when I saw the numbers pop up on Facebook, it was like, ooh, 30% bump. I say, I call it uh, looking for the spikes in the data. So we're putting out all this video and we're looking, it's like, where's a, look for a spike. And when you find the spike, what is that spike? Why, and my spike happened on, it was like, how to put your Facebook pixel in place or something stupid. And I was like, okay, huh, let me make another one of those and see what happens. Boom, it did better than my average as well. Like, okay, two above average here. And I kept doing it and I was like, all right, so what do these people need now? That's when I really went into deeper into funnels stuff. Um, and I started teaching more about funnels and, and some of my uh, upsell scripts and because it's like, okay, so if you're driving Facebook ads traffic, I just, it's empathizing with your audience. So the niche is your way in. That's how you kind of start to, to find your little corner in the incredibly noisy world of YouTube that you can start to grow an audience. And then it's about having empathy for those people. They're real human beings. What else are they challenged with? What did they search just before they found that video? And what are they going to search after they found that video? As an affiliate marketer, I also think about this, you know, okay, so someone just bought my keyword tool. Cool. What did they buy before my keyword tool? And what are they buying after my keyword tool? And how can I create content that's going to meet them at those steps? And then I meet more people and more people and more people. And then kind of the last thing on here, um, there's more people who are trying to take step one or step two than there are nine or 10. So there for a while, I was going down the path of teaching my complex Facebook advertising strategies, which I helped one guy on YouTube he scaled from 10 grand a month to a hundred thousand dollars a month based on my free videos. He flew to a conference I was talking at to shake my hand. Um, that's a very small group of people, right? Literally yeah, a very small group of people, but like the basic, basic, basic stuff, like how to add a contact form on WordPress. There are millions of people looking for that exact search phrase. And so if we focus on kind of those beginner steps, um, there's going to be a lot broader of an audience and there's going to be more people we can potentially help. And then you can kind of be their trusted advisor. What, what are they going to look, what's their next challenge they're going to hit? What's their next thing? And then lead the path for them and, and look for the spikes in the data. Yeah, that, that's, that's a terrific point. So, okay. Last question has nothing to do with SEO or YouTube at all. What does your average day look like? Yeah. So I'm, I'm up shortly after sunrise right now in the wintertime. I'm up and it's dark. I'm up, I'd say five, five thirty most mornings. Uh, no alarm clock. Just wake up at that time. I love um, being up. I listen to an audiobook for 20 minutes or so while I make coffee with a French press. 
Um, so I get 20 minutes of usually like personal development type stuff. I do a little bit of marketing, but mostly, again, I want to shift my mindset into a positive state of mind first thing. Um, get down to my computer and my email, my daily email is like one of those big first tasks. I try to front load the things I have to do in the early part of the day when I got a bit of caffeine and my willpower tank is full because we've all gone through the day and you've had that point where you get to the end of the day, you're like, man, I need to do that, but I ain't got no energy for that. It's because the will tank gets empty later in the day. Uh, so I'll work for a bit, then I'll go up, probably do a little oatmeal or a green smoothie for breakfast. And then we go for a walk on the property. I'm on 20 acres up here. So we walk maybe two miles on the property in Sedona. We got a bunch of trails around, come back, work for another hour and a half, do a healthy lunch. Um, work for maybe an hour, then I meditate, uh, work for another hour, and then I go do another walk on the property or where I'm at, wherever I'm at, or I got a lake here, so I paddleboard. Yesterday I got to do about a two and a half mile paddleboard on the lake. Um, I got a little golf cart that I drive down my uh, paddleboards on top. It's, I love it, it's the greatest thing ever. Um, and then in the evenings I read. I read a lot about financial stuff, the world, um, big picture, um, you know, like um, investing is something that, that is, intrigues me. And I've got a virtual race car um, a sim racing rig that I've built because I love racing and I've always wanted to, to get more into racing, but I, 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 for some reason, like to live in places that are nowhere near racing tracks. And I don't necessarily want to drive three hours each way with a giant diesel towing a race car. Uh, so I built a, like this ridiculous gaming, uh, sim racing rig and I race wheel to wheel with people uh, all around the world. We all log into a platform, I racing and, and we race in the evenings and then, um, an hour of Netflix in the evenings and I'm to bed by nine. Yeah. Well, that, that sounds like a great day. Um, well, cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on miles. This has been jam packed with value. Um, and I think we honestly, we're just scratching the surface. So I think I'll need to have you back on if, if that's cool with you at some point. Absolutely. Yeah, man, I'm okay. all about it. And thanks for having me on good to connect. And it's fun to see, um, you know, like for everybody out there, like this is like doers connect with other doers, right? The rack, the, the reason we're connecting is I've been over here on my own doing, you've been over there on your own doing. We get kind of like at mentioned on Twitter and all of a sudden relationships and collabs form and um, be a doer. This is to the listener and, and you'll be amazed at the doors that can, can kind of almost magically open. And I'm really appreciative of your time and it's been fun to connect. Yeah, it's been great. And I totally agree. So yeah, thank you so much for coming on and um, we'll talk soon. Cheers.